call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 122 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy, Jerry, Jim, my co-host, Danica Tiernan, watched two neo-noir films about the world of organized crime, 1973's The Outfit and 2012's Killing Them Softly. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friendo Podcast. Drop us a line there if any feedback or recommendations, please. Doing what I can Where I am Till I'm where I want to be Much like Mike Rice used to guide those innocent American tourists into dead-end alleys in Dublin. Have you heard about that action? I was going to say, hasn't he got a YouTube special out? Old Mikey Rice. We should get We should actually direct people towards that. I think he's got a YouTube special. I have Has he? It. In that case, it's it's one directed by enemy of the show, John Spillance. Well, I don't know. Should we? <laughs> well, just to say, there. <laughs> go to YouTube and type in Mike Rice comedy. Are you able to Treat see the yourself. fact that it looks like you're speaking directly into Brad Pitt's stump of a hand? <laughs> <laughs> Tastes delicious. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't lick it, given the chance? Hey, Absolutely. buddy, how are you? Are I'm you very happy? well. Yeah, I'm very happy. Thanks for asking. I'm yeah, not going to return man, Me too, me too. I'm having I, a didn't good ask. Week. I didn't ask. I'm having a good week. I'm pretty happy. Um, watch some movies, watch some TV. Mm-hmm. Have you watched anything fresh or surprising that I might not expect to know about? <laughs> yeah, I've... Okay, I've only started this. I haven't finished it yet, but... Uh, I started watching uh, Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix, on old Johnny oh, Netflix. Oh, I can't believe that that escaped my... Yeah, because you text me about this, and we're both big Flanagan fans. Flan fans. And that looks good. That looks like it's his wheelhouse. Is it good, yeah? Yeah, it's definitely... It's much more in line with the haunting... The two haunting seasons, Midnight Mass, Doctor Sleep Director's Cut. Oh, yeah, I think, obviously not that bullshit that we did. Yeah, th- this time last year in episode Ferdeberg, we uh, we watched the uh, Midnight Club Ugh. limited series. Actually, are they doing are they doing a season two or did no that got cancelled, no, didn't it? And then Flanagan put out all the yeah, ideas. Flanagan yeah, released yeah, his description that. of what season yeah, two would be. And it sounded actually okay, didn't it? It sounded, it, it sounded much the, better than what we Midnight saw, yeah, Club. for sure. Yeah, so I, I don't know. How much do you know about this? Follow the House of Follow the House of Usher? Uh, I wrote uh, an essay about the original story, so I know what I know how that rolls. And then I read the uh, description of the show, how they've adapted it, uh, and it sounds fascinating. They're going the direction of like the Sacklers, basically. It's a pharmaceutical family, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's big, big, big evil pharma uh, company. It's basically like, um, so we talked about this before, but Frank Langella was originally cast as the um, head of the Usher family, but then there were some Me Too shenanigans going on and he got yeah. in can, so they brought in uh, old Brucey Greenwood, who's like a long-term Flanagan guy who's worked on a bunch of stuff. And so basically... Only ever touched Flanagan. Yeah, exactly. He keeps it carefully directed. Bruce Greenwood stars as Roderick Usher, and he's the head of this big evil pharmaceutical company and the head of the family. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say, but like right at the start of the first episode, all six of his children have died within the last two weeks. And he's at their funeral 
And then the way that the show unfolds is that he sits down and speaks to the lawyer who's been trying to bring down the family. And then on an episode by episode basis talks about uh, how each of the, how each of them died. That's <laughs> like the reason I just made that noise involuntarily is it sounds like so much my cup of tea. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. So, sounds so enjoyable. Because you've got the you've got like the time jumps back and forth. You've got the individual stories. Someone you've got explaining all the a story, say, yeah, a yeah, story yeah, yeah. to a lawyer in a room. Yes, yes. Which I'm means there. that which means that you can make some you can like uh reveal things and go ah you could there there are a lot of like you know typical flanagan things going on it's all the actors that you recognize from all the other projects he even brought back some of the kids from the uh midnight club uh series and uh yeah he's just doing his usual thing like like old school old school flanagan exactly as it should be I haven't finished it yet, but if uh, if the rest of the episodes hold up, then if he can gonna, stick the landing, then it will be definitely up there as one of the best things he's done. I'm going to elbow um, my wife slightly out of the way to get this started tonight, so because we are, I'll talk about it in a second. We're currently watching a show, which I'm enjoying well enough, but to speak frankly, Midnight Mass was, I mean... May Fillmore TV probably the best thing I watched last year. I mean, I, I I still can't believe how many people have not seen that show. I just think it's fantastic on every single level. Was that I last think, year? I don't even remember when that was. Now, I believe it was last year at Midnight Mass. Yeah, I'm. I could be wrong. Let's have a gander. I think but it might I, be a couple of years ago. But really, actually, that does make twenty twenty one. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, it's just uh, still big in my mind then. I'll, I'm mm. willing to get, let that go. Uh, I suppose, I think yeah. I, I watched it a bit more recently than you. I skipped over Midnight Club then. And uh, to be fair, I've seen Midnight Mass twice. I, mm. ge- I genuinely think that's... That is great. It's just top-tier stuff. It, he brings exactly the best energy of... You know, I've said it a thousand times, the way we get into Bosch and stuff like that. There's an energy these days, if you get it right, you can transfer the energy of reading an airport novel onto the screen if you do it right. Mm. Mike Flanagan is that for Stephen King. And I know he's excelled in Stephen King adaptations, but it's also because he just gets the tone so right. And Midnight Mass is a Stephen King novel that he never wrote, as far yeah, as I'm concerned. That's a crazy thing, because that one is not, that's his own work. It's yeah. fine, it's not. But if you learn anything about his it. personal life, it's quite, yeah, you, yeah, can, yeah. you can see the roots of it anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting started in that. You want to hear what I've been watching with my wife? I've been watching a show called Rain Dogs. Have you heard of Rain Dogs? <laughs> no. Have you heard of Rain Dogs Rain as an album or a TV show? Neither, none. Okay, I'm so I'm imagining it's like rain dogs, like reindeer. No, it's two separate words. No, thank you for playing. Uh, no, so I ended up seeking this out because I listened to a podcast I recommend, Adam Buxton's podcast. Two weeks oh, yeah. ago, he had this lady called Daisy May Cooper. And the thing is, I don't know, as me and Andy um, <laughs> record uh, more podcasts, and my favorite podcast is our podcast. I know what I like to hear and it's genuinely, you know what? It's I like to hear from people that I like. So I like Andy and I like Adam Buxton. So even if I haven't heard of the person, I'll kind of give it a splash if it's Adam Buxton. And I just liked Daisy May Cooper on his podcast. So I checked out this show and I ha- like I'm enjoying it so far, but it is bizarre. It's 
I'm only two episodes in. I am enjoying it. I need to stress this. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I don't think I've ever... There's this very strange thing going on in the show, right? So in episode one, Daisy May Cooper's character, Costello, gets evicted from her flat with her daughter by the police. So their day is spent walking around trying to find a place to sleep. All very calmly, there's a loving relationship between Costello and the daughter. And at the same time, this fella Selby, this gay lad in his mid-twenties, gets relieved from prison. And he is simultaneously like a dangerous man to steer clear of, but also kind of the saving grace of this character Costello. So they have literally, not figuratively, literally, a love-hate relationship in only only the two episodes I've seen. They both love each other and look out for each other, and they genuinely hate each other. <laughs> I, but it works. Right. It works enough that I'm convinced to watch more. Of course, I am still um, biting my way through the Shield season five and Deadwood <laughs> season two. I can't watch everything all at once. Those are amazing. Genuinely, I mean, I'm going to relate back to them when we're talking about killing them softly anyway. But this show, Rain Dogs, one entire series available on HBO, half an hour, funny, moving, realistic, and also really intriguing. I, I don't get what's up with it. and I haven't seen the end, so, you know... Anyone listening can come along for the ride with me if they'd like. But uh, I see that it was written by Cash Caraway. That's who, correct. Yeah, yeah. I'm not familiar with, but it says here, looking at her Wikipedia bio, her writing is often compared to Hubert Selby Jr. and Charles Bukowski. And Charles Bukowski, yeah, I oh, saw yeah. that. I, Fun times. Charles Bukowski, I've, I've obviously heard of. I've read a couple of his books, but who's the first person? Uh, Hubert Selby Jr. wrote Requiem for a Dream. Last oh, exit boo. to Brooklyn. It's fun times. Fun old stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're fun times. You're Saturday morning, <laughs> let's have a goof viewing. I've yeah. only watched it once as a 16-year-old hungover for the first time, and I'll never watch it again. I read the book. I read the books. Do you got anything else besides what we agreed to watch that you've been watching? Hell no. I just okay. haven't had time. And uh, tomorrow is worse because uh, Spider-Man 2 comes out on the PS5. So Yeah, it looks pretty good. I've seen the trailers. <laughs> All news. right, we got to talk. We finally got to talk. Mm-hmm. Mano all mano. Both it's of us. Another man, it's another man week. Manly we got to talk films. about, about uh, Sound of Freedom. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. Okay, even better. So I went to the cinema to watch Sound of Freedom. Now, Andy, this is not because I was not obeying your directives. My wife wanted to go to the cinema. We had the opportunity to go to something. And my wife's mother had heard of this movie. So I says, okay, mm-hmm. fine, let's go. There was only probably one other thing that I'd like to see. Does your wife's mother go to church by any chance? But here's the thing. This is the fun thing. No, she doesn't. Okay. But I was, because obviously I'm all au fait with internet culture and I know what's going on with this movie. So I had two opportunities here. First of all, I was there going, my mother, my mother-in-law, who's, you know, her husband is very right wing. I love him, by the way. I love Nacho. He's a top dude. He's very right wing. And uh, she's slightly less so, but would lean in that direction. She recommended this movie. And I was just left thinking, wow, that's amazing. The right wing tentacles of the movie have reached all the way to Spain. That's nuts. <laughs> that's not surprising then, to me. Belen wanted to go see it. And you know what? I've heard it's half decent in whatever way I had heard uh, before I'd seen it. I didn't hate the movie, by the way. I, I, it isn't, I it isn't terrible. It's just very no, no. bland. It's the strangest 
fucking film I've ever seen. I James texted Ray you Ray that, and I will get into my reason for yeah. using that for that adjective. So we went along to it, and I thought I'd be very. I'd be very interesting to see how Berlin re- reacts <laughs> to the movie without knowing any of the yeah, political context that was built up. She liked it the appropriate amount, and her reactions were actually appropriate to, I don't know, the material. This is my feeling about this movie. I'll start with my thesis. So I think a very basic story has got caught up in just a bunch of horseshit from both sides, is my feeling. So, and, okay. Let me start from the beginning. I wanted to go to see it. We went to see it. I knew the political context. I said, it'd be interesting to see how she responds to that. Now, Andy's talked about this already, but yeah, blah, blah, blah. Jim Caviezel plays this guy who's interested. Tim uh, uh, Ballard. Tim Ballard, who's interested, nay, engaged in um, rescuing uh, child sex slaves. Now, the movie is... (sighs) Right, no. It's hard so to talk about. To, it's so difficult <laughs> to figure out where to, to start talk about this because it's a cultural well. entity more than a story. <laughs> no, I'm going to introduce the cultural entity before I introduce the story. <laughs> right. So because QAnon got so uh, caught up in... Okay, so adrenochrome. That's the starting yeah, yeah. part. <laughs> no, QAnon got really caught up in the idea that the left and Hollywood in general were involved in child sex trafficking. You know, Brian Singer, the realistic end of the spectrum, adrenochrome harvesting, the unrealistic end of the spectrum. By the way, as I'm sure Andy will agree, neither of us know really anything about this beyond instinct, but this would be my instinct. I've seen some of the people who made this film talking to like big audiences on this subject and going like, they're harvesting the uh, organs of children and da, 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 and people like... Yeah, yeah, dude. I'm not saying they don't believe this shit. I'm saying you and I don't really... No, obviously not. I, yeah, think, yeah. I mean, I think... Yeah, I think what you're talking about was the first option, like Brian Singer, and obviously there's been that's so many. That's the realistic yeah, end of the spectrum. That's, that's the unrealistic one. science fiction end of the spectrum is the other one. Yes. So, But there is something there. There's something there, but it's the other side. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle, there is... A real story that happened, right? Where this guy rescued a bunch of kids. Now they admittedly <laughs> they kind of um, bracketed this uh, brother sister rescuing story over the whole thing to make it make sense. But the re- the ideal of the movie was to raise awareness of um, child sex trafficking. Which, to be fair, for the story it told, I've looked up the elements of it that are true or not true. It does tell the story. So there it is in the middle perfectly average movie about something that probably deserves to be talked about because it has sort of links thematically to something like let's say pizzagate or something the left start really piling on it and because the left start really piling on it the right start really piling on it in the other direction and so on one side you've got them saying ignoring the political context for whatever reason because it's america they're going ah it's the worst movie ever what a big heap of shit and on the right, they're going, this is the greatest movie ever. This is the greatest movie that's ever been made. The thing is about it in the end, the major letdown for the movie, I think is, just speaking purely as a film fan perspective, I think 
Alejandro Monteverde is a really bad movie director. He's a I think he's, kind of right-wing Christian guy. Yeah, I know he is. I know, I, like, whatever about his political credentials. I don't think he's good at making movies. <laughs> I think that's a problem for the movie. There's, he didn't have okay. that much money. He only had, what, 24, 24 million? <laughs> Do you know what? When the kid, the little boy, gets reunited with his father, I should have cried. I should have cried. Like, really? If you're yeah. doing your work, I should have cried. When because you were, you were sad that... Said that the uh, plan had failed. <laughs> Been saved. Or when Tim Ballard rescues the girl yes. from the clearly a FARC uh, drug dealer. But there it should seems have been to work for some people. I, I agree. Should have I been thought been it was tension. bad, but it seems to work for a lot of audience members. But that's the thing is like that. But I agree. It's poor filmmaking. It's poor it's filmmaking. It's just bland. That's why I go back There's to that good, point there, again. There is, good, there is good stuff in there. 100% there could be a good movie in there if you could get... Do you know yeah, who would be great making long. this? Paul Greengrass. Imagine Paul Greengrass. Sure. I'll go with this. But yeah, this guy Because just he doesn't... would employ the real people. <laughs> get the real people. Probably, in. actually. Yeah, that's what he'd be into. <laughs> the yeah, real yeah. kids. But yeah, if you just think of Captain Phillips and the tension in that lifeboat when yeah. all the fucking which Navy also, SEALs... Are... <laughs> which is a film that also stars someone who might be involved in this whole thing. Ah, Tom Hanks. You <laughs> yeah. stop that now. <laughs> Anyway, it's a, it's just such a very silly movie. It's such a, but it's, a, but the thing is, I, and I preface this and then we'll get to this week's movies. The I reason think. I find it so strange is because it's just very, very, very okay. And there's been such a huge deal made about it. Because they didn't include all of that controversial stuff in the end. Which stuff? All of the most controversial elements of this whole movement. You, okay, so the children were being sold as like sex slaves, but no one was then, you know, trying to drain them or go like, we're going to take out your glands. Like, you know what I mean? And it was, they weren't sold to Hollywood or to like a big room full of bankers. So all of the craziest elements aren't in the, all the craziest elements of what the people who made it think aren't in the actual finished film. Well, that's, that's why, clear, yeah. That so that's why I mean that's why it's the the level of vitriol and ire that the left brought to it didn't it wasn't really necessary in the end because what it is is sort of just a bit like meh. There were all the things that they feared it was going to be aren't actually there. Do you see the exec producer? <laughs> oh, what well, he got in trouble as well, did he? Do you know who it is? Who? Mel Gibson. Oh, well, yeah. Give well, I mean, he knows how to make a film in Mexico or wherever. Indeed, he does. Colombia. He's... Very uh, smooth with Mexican people. Anyway, this week's movie. Wait, I have, wait, I have one more question about it. How did your family members react to the speech at the end? Did you stay for the speech? Oh, the speech is wild. <laughs> um, yeah, of course, I insisted on that. Belen was like going to go, and I pointed to the thing in the corner of the screen. I was like, no, look, special message. She's like, what is this? And I said, <laughs> I'll explain after, but I have to see it. Um, <laughs> I had to see it. How are you not going to see it? <laughs> one, you know what, right? I don't think it's cynical. That's one thing I'll say. It's no, wild. it's incredibly earnest. It's wild, but I don't think it's like let's make more money for the movie. I just think it's like because it's just, during his speech he says this can be for modern slavery what Uncle Tom's Cabin was <laughs> for slavery uh, previously. And the thing is that I, I look, we've talked about it before. Probably more so, or less so, who cares, than other Hollywood actors 
Jim Caviezel is a big dumb Hollywood actor, and he he's probably... incredibly stupid. All the stories that we talked before about the yeah, yeah, the yeah. podcast, the Enter the Cavortex, overestimates QAnon podcast. How much? How much movies can do? Like off mic last week, you and I spoke uh, lengthily about the current conflict going on in the Middle East, and a <laughs> giant theme that I always present is nobody pays any attention to either history or how the perception of the actual changes between back then and now. We actually and solved like, the whole thing in that conversation look, as well. Huh? So we actually solved the whole thing in that conversation. We did so. actually. And I'm glad we, we probably did. We should have been But no, like with somebody, you know, dumbass as <laughs> Jim Caviezel, who thinks that a movie nowadays independently produced and distributed can have the same effect as a popular novel in the 19th century when that was the <laughs> only form of entertainment for an entire continent. I don't know. Anyway, but it was interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how the cultural phenomenon lasts or evolves. It is interesting. A lot of money. It's very Daily Wire. Like you didn't watch that uh, <laughs> no, documentary I, I talked about. I will not watch any Daily Wire film. The whole use. thing is very Daily Wire. That's the thing. I, I and I'm, I'm not refusing off of, or for some reason where I'm like, it's too right wing. I just like that looks like it's going to be like badly made emperor in general. It is. There's, you know what? Oh, there's a, but, the, but yeah, again, fine. Just before we get onto this week's movies, <laughs> honestly, Give me the politics in any fucking movie you want. If you make it well and you put me in this situation, and people could accuse me of whatever they like, but I genuinely don't mind. But I've there's certain aspects of this movie that I've brought up to you before that I'll, about different movies. I'll bring them up now. He goes into that bar in fucking Tijuana or whatever. <laughs> it's lit like like a Vogue studio. I the think guy I... <laughs> is drinking whiskey. Glasses this size. Do you remember this? <laughs> yeah, Just yeah, yeah. Vampire. And like looking so clean and squeaky. That's where your Paul Greengrasses come in, man. That's I think, where you're. Uh, I, th I think. I think I mentioned when that annoyed I, me a lot. Actually, when, when I spoke about it, the funniest thing. I think it was also in the episode of that other podcast I was talking about. They um. Uh, they were talking about how there are no extras. <laughs> like when he when he's in prison, there's literally the just two is, people in the entire set. That was the part of the movie. Then, when it started, I I like probably for the first hour, I enjoyed it more than this uh, because I thought they were kind of being a bit more self-aware than they definitely were. I figured that out in the end that they weren't being self-aware. No, but the way the pedophile looks, for example, he looks he looks like <laughs> he looks. a comic book drawing of a pedophile. Peter File, is his name. <laughs> exactly. It's just it's insane, and Caviezel looks like. Come, These guys, he's dyed blonde I'd hair. Maybe like Man. recast him as Jeremy Renner if you could get Jeremy yeah, Renner yeah. in the movie. But at the same time, he looks like I am the anti-pedophile. There's got to uh, be some other actors who are into that who would have signed up. Oof, I'd say uh, James there, Woods. There. Maybe you could get yeah, James. But Woods. that's the problem. They're all too old. Anyway, yeah, yeah, it yeah, was uh, it was fine. Uh, it was. Do you know what? It was definitely a decent way to pass the afternoon in the cinema, okay. and it was it was so fun afterwards. Me and Belen yeah, sat down yeah, for a coffee, and I explained the whole thing to her, great, yeah. and she was just like, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> anyway, anyway, <laughs> toss forget, winner last that. week. How would you feel about outfit? Well, I I'm gonna hazard a guess and say that you like this more than me. I didn't hate it at all. Again, it was just another thing that I thought was 
Andy, can I say something before fine. you dig in? What? I think this is practically a perfect movie. Like That's I loved, hilarious. I loved this so much. I can't say that at all. I thought it had a solid start. I thought it had a handful of strong scenes, but it just ends up to me feeling like less than the sum of its parts. Like oh, some of the thi- wow, some of the things I don't like are like the reactions during stickups, terrible gunplay. Some of the decisions that the characters make seem a bit silly to me. There is good tension throughout, especially in the final scene, but like at the end of the day, I just wished I was watching something else. I thought it was fine. It's got Timothy Carey in it. Like, how could I not? Even I felt like he was misused. He wasn't no, I as insane I think he's as he should be. Used. He's he's good, but I just think they should have let him off the leash even more. They're like it's the least insane I've seen him. Oh man, I thought this just was. I can't think of a more cause and effect action movie that I've ever seen. It's like, and also the characters. I believed in them. The friendship between the two men, I really believed in. I bought into it. The action, the, you know what? There's so many movies that come out like this, but the characters are one note and you don't care about them. I would put it to you that none of the characters in this that you're supposed to root for are one note. Like there's a, that scene where Karen Black tries to connect I, yeah, with her parents. No, no, that is, and that's, she says... I, I mean, that's, that is the... That is the saddest scene in anything that I've seen. She for a doesn't want to. She that. doesn't want to so talk to her sad. mother. She insists on talking to her, her father because. So, and then so, you can so imagine so much sad. from that. Yeah, I know, I know. That that was like that was a real high point of the film for me. And then even probably about five minutes in the film later, she ends up dying. Which yeah, is, she I dies. Mean, that, that was obviously going to happen, but like yeah, yeah. nothing tops that phone scene of the sadness of that. Even that, I mean, straight after that, she's she goes back into the motel and ends up getting into a big argument with Macklin. But like that, just her calling home and being, she's so out of her depth and she shouldn't be there. I mean, it was hard. That was that was excellent. I agree. That's one of the strong scenes I'm talking about that I thought was good. But I don't know. It just feels a bit janky overall. I think about other films around it at the same time that are just better made. Oh, I just don't I think that John. So I just perfect. don't think that John Flynn was a you know a great film director. Although you've seen Rolling Thunder and I haven't, so I love Rolling yeah. Thunder. I've actually got it lined up to watch this evening sure. after I finish this podcast. I'm not joking. Yeah, I think that, but that's I, why I, got I, it from I knew this would be your speed. Like, I know this is your your film. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, you you had that predicted. Uh, yeah. When- at a time uh, we we spoke about it at, at the start of this podcast and to be fair we'll get to it but killing them softly is probably much more your speed even absolutely. though i absolutely <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely but there you go i the, okay reasons i loved this really loved this i don't use the words perfect film for me it is you love runaway perfect. train i feel like this is kind of i did, i wouldn't call runaway train a perfect film though i think you this is it, you liked it more i than did you. love runaway train I did love Runaway Train. Do you remember the part of Runaway Train that's really hilarious, though? Him standing on top of the train. <laughs> no, the, pr- the prison warden chasing after the train on a helicopter, <laughs> climbing down the ladder to try Instead to get... Instead of just letting the voice character, it's just not... It's just, it's just not that part of the movie. Um, <laughs> literally, a prison warden ordering a helicopter <laughs> pilot, fly over the train and I'm going to climb like, this down this rope ladder to get John Voight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nuts. Anyway, no, I thought it started out with a very cool, charismatic assault. 
I, I thought then agree. when um, uh, Duval gets out, you you have a, a realization where it's heading. Interestingly enough, Walter Hill actually helped out with the screenplay of this. And the scene where um, Macklin and um, his missus, Bet, yeah, 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 yeah. Bet, when they drive to the motel, it's very, very similar to the uh, opening of uh, The Getaway. Which so, I like that scene as well. I think all the stuff around Bet is maybe the strongest. Yes, I think it's very strong, but I also think it when Cody gets introduced, I sure. think I think I think the main strength of the movie is actually the fact that Cody and Macklin quite like each other. Who doesn't Joe like Don Baker is amazing. Also. Yeah, exactly. I mean exactly. He's... Who doesn't like Joe Don Baker? Young as well. He's so good in this. Yeah. That scene where he gets introduced and the two hitmen are in there and yeah, he yeah, yeah. Without revealing his true identity, indicates that the sheriff is in the yeah. cafe right then. It's just, it's like Hemingway wrote that scene. <laughs> it's so sparse <laughs> and cut back. And you, it's all like, and by the way, at that point, for people listening, we'll go through the plot eventually. But at that point, you don't realize that Cody is Macklin's partner at all. Sure. Yeah. We don't know who he you is. You just recognize the hitmen, kind of, even though it's yeah. different because neither of them is dressed like a priest. They're dressed like a priest <laughs> in the first half, in the in the first assassination scene. Totally fantastic. Uh, Robert Ryan is... Oh, Classic. Classic Robert well, Ryan. Well, you know what's also great about this? In all the action scenes throughout the movie, this scene effectively changes to one real scenario after another the part where they meet robert ryan which is like uh i don't know a, a horse auction or something like that is that where yeah they meet it's why well, some stables somewhere anyway yeah and then there's a church where um then he eventually drop. try tries to turn the tables on them but they're very successful do you know what's very cool about this as well is okay gunplay i give you uh, <laughs> there's a lot of waving guns around and go, there's a lot of waving guns around but the techniques they use to get away from situations are, they're good, like. They're good ideas, At least they're movie I good. Think, I, I think, again, it's like, I, give me Michael Mann. <laughs> Put, like, heat or something. Give me that. I, I oh, mean, I've okay, got, it was, I've got it, an interesting a fact for you on that score. Okay. So, um, Quentin Tarantino in his book from last year. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a huge fan. He loves this. C- cinema speculation. He has a whole chapter on this. And it's based on... Uh, the Parker novels we've uh, reviewed. By the way, would you say this is better or worse than uh, Point Blank? I prefer Point Blank, without question. Oh, okay, I prefer this. Anyway. I, I, I prefer Point Blank because remember, there's the part where the guy falls off the roof and he looks like, like a, sheet a sheet of paper. Of paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> is pretty cool. He turned him into paper. <laughs> Madness. Anyway, so the attraction, by all accounts, of the Parker novels was you're just watching a criminal who's genuinely good at his job. And Quentin Tarantino says, for his money, the best actual adaptation of Parker is The Outfit. But the best adaptation really is Neil McCauley in Heat. Respect. He says, that's the essence of the character. That's what they're going for. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That what that's what they're going for in the novels. In because the, this the character seems, novels. I mean, this character here, Macklin, seems a lot more talkative. He doesn't seem like uh, he doesn't seem like the heat character. But he is very business when it comes to it. I think. I guess, and, and he also when you know when his uh, lady dies, he's very like he's like ah, that's a bummer. But yeah, yeah. We'll but, take care of the uh, funeral. And no, you take care of it. The, no, you have to watch it today. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Wouldn't you love Quentin Tarantino to make a movie around Neil McCauley? Uh, <laughs> well, he could get involved with Heat, too. 
Well, you, uh, have you seen the casting for Heat 2? Adam Driver? Who else was there? That's what I read. No, 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 that's all that's been cast so far. But I, I, the reason it's on my mind is I've just finished reading the book. Timothy and I Chalamet. Think it would me, I think it would be a great book. I, I, a great movie, rather. I think it would be really, really good. But he's got a release Michael for... Michael By the way, he's in his 80s. Man is in his 80s. Well, I've seen the trailer for uh, the new Ferrari film. Me too, yeah. I'm not sure about that one. By Adam Driver. I don't know. Ara, sure, we'll see. Here, what we'll see. what uh, what further have we to talk about with this one? It was originally going to be set in post-World War II, and it was going to be set in the 1940s. The novel is set in the same period as the film, like kind of 60s, 70s, Vietnam War. I never got the sense that the characters, supposedly the characters in the film are, had served together in the army. I didn't get that feeling either. I, didn't, I, I don't didn't think get it's it. given. Yeah, I never got any sense of that. But anyways, Flynn's idea at the start was that it was going to be set in the 1940s. So that's why he went out and got a lot of old school actors. And it was a bit of a Kubrick killing reunion. Alicia mm. Cook Jr. and uh, Mary Windsor. And then also the man who probably best represents this podcast, Mr. Timothy Carey. Tim Carey, the oh, mascot Carey. of this podcast, Tim Carey, appeared. Legend. And I, I, contrary to you, I think it's a perfect Carey role. He looks like a dangerous, weird guy that would be in a fucking all-day card game. He does, but I, and, and I watched a couple more interviews I hadn't seen before with him. I've really, I mean, I could write a book about Timothy Carey. He's fantastic. <laughs> He's and, a genius. And I, like, I, I do bemoan the days, and I don't think it's that Hollywood's gotten cynical. I just think it's evolved as a business. But I do bemoan the days where the largest movie industry in the world looked out for fellas with weird ass faces and mannerisms and said, that'll be interesting enough. It like, you know who, what Timothy Carey reminds me of, you know, the song by, I don't, I can't remember the band. It's called a, uh, your woman. Yeah. White sure. town. Uh, White yeah, town. Yeah, yeah. I could never be your one. It's just yeah. weird, but slightly catchy. That's Tim Carey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's how he used to get in movies. Cause he's just, weird as fuck well i think part of the problem this is a whole other conversation but i think i think part of the problem is like there are very few working class actors anymore and they're very hundred oh, percent you know that's basically what it is is like he was a real guy also a fucking yeah. maniac but he was like real he wasn't but some, also like, as we kids. like research the bios of actors every week like we watch older movies and like ah this guy fucking uh, worked in, yeah served in the war Cracked a bunch of Nazis' heads, refused to talk about it ever. Uh, Had about then, 20 other jobs. Sailed yeah, to Tahiti. Like, no, I mean, honestly, no uh, no slight intended in the direction of Scoot McNary, who we will be talking about this week. But he was like, I want to be an actor. And then he became an actor. Yeah, it's just different. Um, and I think the same, I think Hollywood scripts are suffering from the same thing. There's just... You know, it's siloed. People are less interesting. They have less interesting stories. I'm going to go through the plot of the Do. outfit. So the film starts off, we see a taxi with a priest, uh, and they stop off and ask for directions at a gas station, and then they pull up at a house, and the two get out, the priest and the taxi driver, and they gun down a man in cold blood. Oh, no. Which is, you know, I'm never trust a, a priest. Man. Exactly. <laughs> This is just like Spotlight. This is a prequel to Spotlight. Never trust a priest. Robert Duvall, aka Macklin. What's his first name? Earl? Earl Macklin? Walker. 
Why did it? So it's Parker. Parker's the original character in the novels, yeah. but they changed it to Macklin, which is just crap. It's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Parker is solid. They should have kept it. Anyway, Macklin, uh, we see him getting out of prison. He's picked up by his lady, Bet, who's played by Karen Black, who we talked about not that long ago because she was in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, she immediately tells him that his brother is dead. And the brother was the guy who got shot by the priest and the taxi driver in the first scene. Da, 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 da. Okay. Did she give the brother up? She said she got visited by two guys. She says there were two men. There were two guys. And that's when... Ah, yeah, yeah. I know the scene. Yeah, yeah, she did. So she, so immediately the relationship between Macklin and Bet is, is obviously ruined because she gave up his brother. To these guys who threat what did they threaten to do to her again no they burnt uh, her with cigarettes oh that's right she's got all these cigarette burns on her arm yeah exactly so she gave them up so then they drive to a motel and macklin at that point realizes it's a setup this hitman comes in the door and macklin basically fucks him up and gets information from him and then tells great him scene to, that tells him to hit the road don't you ever i come felt back. um the <clears throat> very much uh, shared DNA between that and um, No Country for Old Men in that scene in uh, the approach to the motel room. You don't think so? DNA in the same way that, you know, we've got ape DNA, but, but No Country I'm for Old Men is no a human. I'm not saying No Country for Old Men isn't uh, better. I'm just saying the slow approach to I guess, the motel I guess, room. I guess. I guarantee I you the Coen brothers would sure. agree with me on this. Okay. I think Joel might, but Ethan definitely would not. Fuck Ethan. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Fuck you, Ethan, if you're listening. Can't. Joel, welcome to my house any day for Shabbat. Well, no, not any day, just Sundays, because that's when Shabbat is. Continue, Good. Andy. Next, Macklin goes after the guy who set up the hits. It's Jake Menner. It's only Timothy well, Carey. I can't sitting believe Sitting and playing poker with his mates. He's having a I fun time. I love this scene. How did, wait, okay, so you already knew that Timothy Carey was in this. I yeah. had no idea how prominent he was going to be. So when they opened the door and you just see his big head in the room with all the boys, <laughs> I was immediately like, yes, he's got a big role. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. he's the guy I mean, who ordered the hit. Well, he's the guy who ordered the hits. Like, that's pretty decent as a star. He, he, he isn't like the main baddie. I don't think he ever should be the main baddie. No. He's, no, he's no, 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 perfectly no, 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 he's, um, he's charismatic wallpaper. Like that's yeah. what Timothy Carey does. Yeah. Yeah. And he does, he fills the room with the insane criminal insane. energy that we've not grown used for, to. Yeah. Not enough for my liking, but still Macklin robs Manor and a bunch of other guys at the poker game, kind of similar to the other film a little bit. Yeah. Minus, yeah, uh, you know, the, the only difference here is that he shoots Timothy Carey in the hand. If Ben Mendelsohn was less successful, he would be <laughs> Timothy Carey for 2023. Oh, I love Ben Mendelsohn. Me too. Love I him. Know, I know, I know. Macklin hooks up with his old buddy Cody, played by Joe Don Baker, and it turns out the reason men are in the outfit are trying to kill Macklin and, and company is because they ripped off uh, one of the outfit's banks because they're bank robbers. It, it turns out Macklin and Cody buy some guns and rob an outfit bar where their car gets spotted at the end. So they go and meet an old acquaintance to buy a new car. Very uh, funny scene. I think the main element here is what happens is when the uh, mechanic's sister-in-law tries it on with Cody and he turns her down and this uh, escalates into her going, he tried to rape me. 
to her husband and then the husband wants to to kill Macklin and Cody and then the brother-in-law is like no no <laughs> well you're 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 skipping over the funniest part of the scene which is when the uh, husband gets knocked out then the mechanic says to them uh, she offered it to me two once or twice and she goes yeah you took it <laughs> means he had sex with her oh is that what that means yeah. i see okay so after that they head off with uh bet in town as well they rob another outfit joint uh duval goes in dressed as a janitor and joe don baker as a mailman and they do a, a little a robbery of another outfit location mm-hmm. i don't even know what is that place just another like money holding type place yeah pretty much Oh yeah, but they, when they but, get to the back of it, <laughs> they also punch out the secretary. Though. <laughs> oh yeah, that's fantastic. That's definitely nineteen seventy-three. They lay out the the uh, lady working at the uh, front desk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not like a trick to go down to the door and keep her occupied. It's like, hey, look. <laughs> Afterwards, uh, they go put pressure on the big boss man, Mailer, played by Robert Ryan. Mm. They go down to the uh, stables that he's he doesn't at. Like and- that. Yeah, Macklin wants 250 grand for inconvenience for death of his brother. Mm-hmm. It's owed to him. What's why does he want the money? Yeah, I think that's it. I think he summed it up. Like a, the, all these things together. He's like, you know, the inconvenience. Yeah, he's put a number it. on it. He's like, give me this number or I'll keep hitting your outfits. Yeah, fair. They stage a drop at a church, uh, which turns out to be a double cross. Macklin and Cody pull the fire alarm and escape Mailer's goons. Afterwards, they hit Mailer's operation another time. This is like in a bar, or it's in like a kind of house party thing. And mm. they like force a guy to walk through the party. They're basically taking the piss at this point. Yeah. And then uh, Mailer gets it's a awesome. phone call again, and he's like, don't ever call me here, speaking to one of his guys. And then he's telling them like, kill these fuckers. And then the next scene is the saddest, uh, saddest scene in the film that we've mentioned already. Beck goes to a phone box at the motel and calls her family asking if she can come home. And it's, she's just so out of her depth. And then her and Robert Duvall have a big argument. Uh, but it's such a really nice... Her about. The, the, the way that's scripted, uh, yeah, he does slap her about. But just before that... 1973. But yeah, just the way that that's scripted out is that, I don't know, it just really touched me the way, the way she asks not to speak to her mother and to speak to her father yeah, yeah, yeah. and you just get this impression that's it's a very humane impression that's the thing roger ebert wrote this in his review of the movie and i tend to agree with it is like the types of movie with this storyline are ten a penny but um the people in this one are interesting even robert ryan's character you're watching yeah, him sitting he there, is a bit um, more he's dead. interested in football he likes he likes football his wife hates football he talks about um, his uh, wife a little bit as well yeah, yeah, and she's like, yeah, she gives me shit, but she's she's all right. Nice, she's a good lady. Yeah. Bet and uh, Macklin make up after their argument, and the trio leave the motel in the car. They get stopped along the road by a couple of cops, which it turns out is another mm-hmm. setup. And Timothy Carey and a bunch of other heavies are waiting in a nearby car. That uh, I'm not actually just thinking Timothy Carey's face when he sees them. He does have that little kind of devilish grin. <laughs> but somehow Macklin and Cody managed to kill literally all of the guys uh, before turning to look at the back seat and see that Bet has been unfortunately killed in the crossfire. Yeah, it's a bummer, man. So then they have to go and uh, ditch her body, basically. 
Is that like a doctor's office or something they're at? Or like, a, is it a funeral parlor? Seems to be a funeral parlor, I would say. And But the, it's just, Macklin is so cold. Yeah, it's he's he's like, okay, cost of doing business, basically. Yeah, he's not sad at all. No, but to be fair, she did, you know, give up his brother and just saying she had it coming. All right, the final you sequence of the film. What comes around is all around. Yeah, when, uh, when the man comes around. If only we could play that song right now. Jung, jung. The, The final sequence of the film sees Macklin and Cody break into Mailer's house using a car that they steal. They sneak through the house and plant a bomb, a big old school bomb. It's like sticks of dynamite with a little clock on it. I respect that. So that's what a bomb looks like. So just so Indeed it is. It's Before, late going off as well, the goddamn <laughs> yeah, stupid damn. bomb. Before Mailer finds Cody and shoots him and, and Cody shoots and kills Mailer. And then when the bomb goes off, Cody and Macklin tell the assorted henchmen that their boss is dead. And then there's a weird moment here where you think Cody's going to die, possibly. He's, yeah, he's, but he he's doesn't. about to give up. And then he goes, you know what? Let's actually, let's leave the building. And Macklin puts on a doctor's coat. This is heat. I guess this is heat. And then they steal an ambulance and escape together. The original yeah, like ending of the film was supposed to be uh, a lot more downbeat. So I imagine it was originally going to end with Cody dying. But they have just that great man moment on the stairs. They go, yeah, let's blow this joint and then blow each other's joints. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm disappointed because I, I did legitimately loved this from start to finish. I thought it was so good. I watched it in the early morning before my day of work. And uh, by the time my family got up, I was just like, yes, I don't care. This is fantastic. What was the quality you watched it in? Because I watched um, a, a DVD copy, which is very unusual for no, me. No, mine was better than that. Mine was 108. Okay. Um, yeah, mine not, was... Not, not uh, quite to the standard that I'm used to these days with other things. Killing them softly, for example. But it was pretty good quality. Mine was, I was another one that I found a little hard to get, not extremely hard to get hold of, but it was D, it was a DVD. All right, I've got a few things to say about cast members. Not that many, because we've talked about some of these people before, but first up is Robert Duvall, who played Macklin, of course, a descendant of uh, Confederate General Robert E. Lee. What? Yeah. As if I needed to like Robert Duvall more. Duval grew up in a military family. His father was a rear admiral, which was it was less widely accepted back in those days. So it was. Robert Duval studied under Meisner with fellow classmates such as Gene Hackman, Dustin Hoffman, and old Jimmy Can. And he used. I'm trying all... to name the. I would say it goes Gene Hackman, Robert Duval, Robert Duval, and then the other no. couple of fellows. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard with James Can. I don't know. Hoffman is the one that you're like, yeah, he's good, but he's kind of annoying. Yeah, totally. Like Gene Hackman crushes, Robert Duvall crushes. Robert Duvall took all of these things that he learned throughout his career, all of his method acting skills, and he used them in a string of films. But perhaps his most notable role is, of course, Gordon McLeod, manager of Kilnocky FC in 2000's A Shot at Glory. Starring Michael Keaton, <laughs> yes, <of> <laughs> Brian Cox, and former Ranger striker Ali McCoy. Michael Keaton, Brian Cox. Brian Cox and Ali McCoy. Did you just say Michael Keaton at the start there also? Michael Keaton is the managed... Uh, no, Michael Keaton is like the chairman or something. This is insane. It's set in Scotland. This was back in 2000. It was hilarious because Cole Hauser plays one of the members of the team. 
So you've got like Ali McCoist, you've got like a bunch of Scottish No one went to see this, surely. I've seen it. I mean, I didn't see it in the cinema. I've seen it because it's hilarious. Ali McCoist's character, they have him as like playing for Celtic. He played for Celtic. So what they did was they took old footage of him playing for Rangers and then just recolored it green and white. <laughs> it's really funny. But okay, it's, right. the, oh, my, some of the accents are brilliant. They're really, really... This is the thing that always bothers me. When you hear of movies like that existing, like even upon release, even upon release... It's a huge vanity project. No one cared about that. No, no, of course Okay, not. vanity project is different because if there's a billionaire funding it, let them do what they like. But I'm just... Ta- I suppose I'm more talking about like... Um, okay, for example... A few months ago on Disney Plus appeared a TV series of True Lies, right? Did you know about this? That this existed? True Lies of the film. True Lies of the film. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> I looked up the budget of this and I knew, and you know, they all always, uh, you know, whittle down the budgets, you know, Hollywood accounting, etc. So right. the public budget that they're willing to put to this is $120 million. For a show that got cancelled, that anybody smart, and I, you know what? Just for, I don't know, for fun's sake, let's include you and me, because we would have this opinion, in the bracket of people who are smart on this occasion. If you'd asked anybody of people who are smart, if they think that like a <laughs> 10-part rendition of the, of, the sh- of the story of True Lies would be a good idea. We w- uh, for Only if you the bring price- Arnie back. Well, I mean, and, when it's a streaming service, they're going to be going, will yeah, it bring subscribers? Will we be able to make that back? You and I would have screamed, no, 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 that's yes, a terrible caps- idea. Capturing the uh, cultural zeitgeist of 2023 is true lies. But then they make stuff like this and they make stuff with Michael Keaton in a soccer movie for some fucking <laughs> reason. And like you just wonder why people are worried about, you know, I don't know, stuff losing money. Anyway, getting back to uh, two of the most talented actors of their generation, Michael Keaton and Robert Duvall appearing in a... Uh, I just can't believe that. And I, I'm not exaggerating. I genuinely put Michael Keaton into the... I, he, like Robert Duvall, improves anything he's in. Well, who, maybe it would have been even worse. Who right? was the money behind that? I, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember. I, I, I don't want to dive further into Shy Glory's history. I will force That's you true. to watch it at some point, maybe. I would well, love I to put it up for a toss. Not this week, but okay. We'll I've see. got two other people to talk about. There's nothing to two. say about. There's nothing to say about Tim Carey, unfortunately, because I've there's no, nothing new to say about him. But I've previous episodes, he was in the Killing episode, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, Killing of a something else. How many uh, Tim Carries have we done? Glory. Pass of Glory. That's so, yeah. four TC movies that we've we talked, done. Yeah, we've done a few. Robert Ryan as uh, Mailer Ryan. Do you know what? Know. Actually, before you get onto that, <clears> just. Just to say for all the hipsters out there, we have over the year or so noticed that there is a following for TC, but we came to our love for TC perfectly <laughs> organically. We That's watched, we, we did, we watched The Killing. And that was like episode bo- two or something. Exactly, two or three. And both of our reaction was, who and the then fuck he is goes to guy? see this I'd assassin and we're like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> who the hell is this creature? And that's when we started when researching. He became a legend. So we yeah. were TCs early on, if that's possible. Anyway, continue. Robert Ryan. Ryan had worked as an actor for a number number of years with success. He was doing quite well in Hollywood. Yeah, he's an old face. Before enlisting as a drill sergeant at Camp Camp Pendleton in 1944. 
I just it like imagine that like I, this is the it's going back to that point of like no working class actors anymore. But like, imagine your country going to war and you end up taking military training from like <laughs> Tom <laughs> <Right>. Holland. <laughs> no, imagine if nowadays if it was yeah, like yeah, Timothy yeah, Chalamet, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet shouting at you, fall in line, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's mad. I mean, it's, it probably it's, still it's, happens in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I've seen you on TV. Very good. You are very anyway, good on TV. Uh, Ryan was a pacifist, a big opponent of McCarthyism, and an all-round good guy, apparently. Seemingly very he looks like a nice, a nice guy. fella. Okay, last up is the most important, Cherie North, who played a character. Her character's name was Buck's wife. She is the lady okay. who is yeah, yeah. pictured behind your head currently. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, a well, tidy she's well lady. endowed. She was first, certainly first in the line when God was handing out chests, mammary glands. Uh, and she said, Can I have big ones? Groomed by uh, Fox. Not in that way, but probably in that way as well. Groomed by Fox, as in 20th century Fox in the 1950s. She was supposed to be Marilyn Monroe's successor. That's right, yeah. They were hoping that they could control her a bit more easily than Marilyn Monroe, who was uh, obviously proving to be quite a handful. So they put North on contract and they tried to get the public to fall in love with her, but the public was kind of going like, eh, it never really took off. And then eventually Fox signed up Jane, Jane Mansfield and told old Sherry North to pound sand and hit the road. And then yeah. she ended up doing a lot of films like this. She Good movies. was a replicant in Blade Runner as well. That's right, yeah. And she got shot to death. North eventually played Babs Kramer, mother of Cosmo Kramer, in hit TV show Seinfeld. And she died in 2005 at age 73. Luckily for her, as the next year, her son, Cosmo Kramer, said some rather nasty things <laughs> at the Laugh Factory. So she luckily was, didn't have to live to see her son do all that bad stuff. Disgrace himself. Yeah. Don't laugh. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's I not agree. Funny. It's not funny. I haven't yet been a fan of um, Dave Chappelle's transition to the Pope of comedy and all his sage advice. But I do <laughs> like his bit when he talks about Kramer. I think it's very funny. Where I goes, remembered uh, half I'm 80%. Of me was going, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's yeah. when I remembered, I, or I found out I'm 80% comedian and 20% black. Yeah, it's just like some of me going, this is deplorable, I can't believe he's saying this stuff, but most of me is just going, come on, hang in there, Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> you can win them back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. Sad that ask you me didn't the question. Like Watch. <clears throat> you got a question to ask me about killing them softly. I know you do. Oh, yeah. So why the hell... Did you prefer this to the outfit in a <clears throat> sentence or two? In a hundred words. Okay, I'll give you 4,000 words. Oh, no. I think killing them softly. You warned me last week. You did warn me. You said there's a lot. There's of, a heavy handedness. There's a he heavy handed commentary around the financial crash. If it wasn't for that commentary, if it wasn't for the terrible on-the-nose music cues, like heroin by There's the Velvet Underground. There's only two, but they are very on-the-nose. There, there are three. There are three. There's heroin when he's... when um, Yeah, yeah, when they're taking heroin. Yeah, when they're shooting up. There's the man comes around when the man yeah, comes around. When, when, they, when Brad uh, Pitt, Pitt arrives. Bradolf Pitler comes around. The other one is when, they're, when he's 
trying to get money. They play the money. That's all I want. That's what I want. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, yeah. So you've got three terrible, terrible needle drops. On the nose. I hate an on the nose needle drop. I really do. If you took those two aspects out of the film, this to me would be an almost perfect film. Oh, wow. Okay. It's excellent. I love it. I I love it. I can't believe I never watched it. What's so interesting about this is. You just insert a director and watch watch what the movie's about shift, even if the story is... We've seen this story told before, but they, yeah. Andrew Dominic has made it an existentialist story. The end is obvious and apparent from the beginning. Yeah. There's no surprises in this movie at all, in terms of plot. Are there? No, no. I, I mean, I, I didn't realize it was based on a novel until the end, you know, until I looked it up, because that kind of explains what it's what it's tied into but yeah pretty early on it's clear that like scoot mcnary is gonna die yeah because they're useless exactly and they're so weak like, and cowardly and that probably feeds into that into that commentary and narrative about you're in the usa everything's a business you're on your own blah 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 first of all it's perfect cross-pollination of martin scorsese and quentin tarantino because it's the grittiness of the streets, but also there's so many vacuous conversations you can like. It's also funny, though. There is, is quite funny. a lot of levity. That's part of the problem of the film in terms of how, how it fared. Because this famously is one of the 21 or so films that have got an F cinema score. And it's on a list. Are you familiar with cinema score? No. So it's a company It was started in Vegas by this guy called Ed Mintz because uh, he went to see the film The Cheap Detective, which I think has got like Peter Falk in it. It's written by Neil Simon. He was a big fan of Neil Simon and he went to see this film back in 1979 and he was like, that's not what I was expecting. And so they... Like a fun guy for a dinner <laughs> yeah, party. Yeah, exactly. And so like all across the US, there's um, like various cinemas where they give people scorecards where they have to rate, you know, from A, B, C, D, okay. F. Um, they give like a rating as to whether they enjoyed the film. But and also, Killing Them Softly has an F. Has an F, but the, one of the main things is whether or not it matched up to the marketing. And if you watch the trailer for this, there's a few other films like this. There, mm. I remember I read, I read someone talking about it, especially with like auteurs who like create something that's quite individual. It's quite different. But when it goes through the marketing machine, it ends up marketed as of course, something yeah. as, as like a regular film. The, the examples that they gave were Soderbergh's Solaris Mother. That's another one that, yeah, I Mother is it? I don't even remember the trailer for Mother, but I mean, I no, would have the, probably the trailer for Mother was F. misleading. Yeah. I, when I, I expected something else, definitely. And when I, I hate, we've mentioned before, I hate Mother. Yeah. I can't stand it. 100%. This, this, this film is, is quite similar in that there's a lot of levity in the, in the trailer. It looks very fun. It looks a lot more kind of snappy, Tarantino-y, a bit, upbeat music they obviously have that scene where slain gets hit by the car when it explodes which is yeah. funny i mean that made me it laugh a lot in, yeah, the, yeah. in the film but like it it feels like a completely different film i'll tell you what to I, it took me a couple of years to watch this when it came out despite the fact that andrew dominic the director andrew dominic's first two films i are think great. are 
completely perfect movies. I've I've seen Chopper it, it, only because it's shorter. I've seen Chopper more. I've seen Chopper maybe two or three times. I've seen Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford once in the cinema and about three years ago when I got my new TV and I had the <laughs> capacity to really enjoy it. And I consider both of those films masterpieces. I consider Killing Them Softly only slightly less so, but if you're to judge it in the context of normal films, not Andrew Dominic films, I think yeah, it's just yeah, great. Yeah. I think it's. I don't think it's his best film, but I, I think no. it's... It would be so much better than most other people's films. Chopper, I remember really liking. I haven't seen it for years. I watched it a lot just because it came out when I was I was a uni, so Mm. I had it on DVD. I pro that's a that's like a. I watched it on account of getting so into um, Munich because I loved Munich when it came out, and somebody saying to me, "Yeah, this is the guy from Munich." I was like, "What?" Chopper. Yeah, yeah. Assassination of Jesse James. Is beautiful. I, I'm due. I, I should definitely rewatch it, but oh, I think it's it's one of those films I like the idea of watching it more than actually seeing that because it's so long. I oh, know I'll Andy, enjoy it, but it, it's it, hard. It, like to... if you if you have the time, like the second it starts, you won't want it to end. It's I love so beautiful. I love the part where Casey Affleck's like he's he's on stage. Yeah, he's he's singing his song, telling the story. That's when he gets murdered. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brutal. But it's like, actually, one of the few problems I had with Killing Them Softly, and it's like, it's a strange problem to have, but it's possible that there are particularly one who will be obvious, but maybe two actors in this that are too famous to get across the grit of the movie. But for some Mm -hmm. reason, because Jesse James is such an iconic character, Brad Pitt actually really works as Jesse James. Yeah, I, I was definitely worried iconic. about Brad Pitt in this at the start because he is, he's far too beautiful and he doesn't look grimy enough. But then his character is actually, you know, a bit smarter and he's he's just there to like pull the trigger. Mm. I don't think he needs to be, he's a bit sleazy, but he doesn't have to be grimy in the same way as like Mendelssohn is like literally has grease dripping off of him. Like he looks <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> It's a it's a tailor made Mendelssohn character. Yeah. Like there's nothing he's, he's else perfect. to say. About he's in the right film. But it did me it did make me wonder. Like who were the other actors that you felt, or who else did you think was mm, shouldn't be there? Richard Jenkins. Richard, Richard Jenkins, Jenkins was. It's he's just an odd choice for the movie. He doesn't work at all, in my opinion. He's just supposed to be like a lawyer or something. Yes, he's not supposed he to be like he's supposed to be the guy, but isn't he supposed to represent like the bankers or something like that? Who are just Most going like, real the movie is is when they're robbing the card game. Ray Liotta is trying to convince Ben Mendelsohn not to do it, and you get these close-ups of these guys' faces, and you're going, yeah, "Where did they, where so did you cast tension. these guys? They are dangerous. They're dangerous yeah, yeah, boys." Yeah. So yeah, uh, but by the way, not laying any huge faults at the film. <laughs> It's stupid to say, but I, 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 and to be honest, I'm sure Andrew Dominic knows more about movies than me. I'm sure Andrew Dominic would himself agree that, man, if I could make a movie like this and make it be seen by people without having somebody as famous as Brad Pitt in it, I would do it. So if you're going to have your pick of famous people, I think he's the best one, personally. Yeah, fair. I think he's actually a really good actor. It's just, um, 
like the alleys in the movie or the place where um, yeah. Scoot McNary meets Ben Mendelsohn when they're walking dogs and they plan the robbery. They're so real and gritty. You can <laughs> fucking, you can feel the water in the gravel and the dust. Like it's just, they're, they're really realistic places. The film, the, the real story of the film for me though, is Brad Pitt's realization that James Gandolfini's character in all that. That's the story for me. That's the nice, like I, I really enjoy that part mainly because I feel like if ever there's a category one long-term listeners of the podcast will know what a category one actor is. It's an actor that leans completely into their own charisma and just brings it. James Gandolfini is the ultimate one of those because he is just so fucking interesting. And it proves it because I've seen him do different roles at this point. And every single role, even if it's, if it's a different kind of character, you, he's just so... He's such a real person and deep and charismatic. And it's the, the, like, <clears throat> you know what? Like, go, like, even if you go back to The Sopranos, when you watch all the caliber of ladies he shags in The Sopranos, you can, you, you can actually imagine him being able to shag those ladies without being a mob boss. He's that kind of dangerous and charismatic. And in this movie, maybe the only one I've seen, he transmits something slightly different which is that he is big, dangerous Tony Soprano in this, but he also transmits what the movie wants us to see, which is that this guy is out of control. He's just ridiculous. I did have, just just as a slight side note, uh, I read one of the most horrifying things the other day, which kind of uh, reflects the passage of time, which is the actor who plays AJ in the yeah, I know in this. the Sopranos. Yeah, he's, he's older now than James Gandolfini was at the start of the Sopranos. Yeah, that's that's horrifying. He's 38. Yeah, but I mean, it just goes to show they cast AJ perfectly because he still looks like a child. And yeah, uh, and uh, James Gandolfini at that age looked like he had enough testosterone in his forehead (laughs) to shrink my balls to the size of underwater pebbles. Like, yeah, um, the he was gifted to say the least. But in general, I think he's a great fit for this movie. I think it's such an interesting little thing. With the when I watched this initially, the subtext of the financial crash stuff annoyed me a little bit. But this time around, I was there watching it, and just um, you can kind of tune it out a little bit. It's all on TVs. But I think it kind of mattered a little bit for me in this one because Brad Pitt is just looking at James Gandolfini's character and going. Ah, I thought you were hard nosed, but you're pathetic. <laughs> you're the downfall of everything. You're you, like this won't work with you. And I think that's slightly relevant. Like the fact that the boys go to rob the poker game and it doesn't matter what happens. They're going to get caught and they're going yeah, to yeah. die. It has a valuable subtext to it. It's a good movie. I liked it more this time than I did the last time, and I liked it well enough the first time I saw it. Scoop McNary's accent might have annoyed me a little bit in parts. Um, I feel like that was written for Casey Affleck. Do you not think he would have been? Yeah, like that, that's how it should have been. I'm 100%. assuming that's who it was going to be at a certain point. Because he's just doing like a full on like Boston. And, and it was all shot in New Orleans. Nice. Yeah, but it's supposed to be Boston. It is, yeah. yeah. Should I talk through the plot? Yeah, it's pretty simple. It is, <laughs> yeah. So there's a poker it. game. <laughs> Johnny Sack tells the tells Scoot McNary yeah. and Ben Mendelsohn to rob this poker game. Uh, for some reason, there's a 
Boston guy scoring heroin. No, there's an Australian guy scoring heroin in Boston. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. They just cast Ben Mendelsohn and went like, "Fuck it, you're Australian. Just be yourself." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which to me, it, it does work. Yeah, I don't mind. But yeah, at yeah, a certain yeah. point, he should be like, "Fuck it, I'm going back to Australia." Fuck this. I mean, he's got like a real out. I mean, assuming he's not going to, as soon as he gets on a plane, he's going to get lifted at the other end. Still, it's better. Something than, like that will happen. Yeah. You know I mean, I, anyway, it doesn't end. They rub this poker well game. They rub this poker game very much in the style of an episode of The Sopranos and so many other movies. That's what happened. People rob poker games. Uh, Ray Liotta tells them, no, you should not do this. Just get out of here. But they do it anyway. The reason they do it is because. Ray Liotta had previously robbed his own poker game. So then, as logic would dictate, uh, the powers that be decide, oh, yeah, you did it again, which was the guy's plans all along. And so they beat him to within an inch of his life in a brutally violent scene. sickening. Fucking, I can't, that's some of the worst violence Very difficult I can to think stomach. of. Yeah, it's so hard to watch. And they're just punching him, but it yeah. feels incredibly real. It's Oof. tough, that scene. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure on purpose, and I'm sure yeah. to a point, but it is di- very difficult to watch. Then Brad Pitt comes into town to sort the whole thing out. He figures out who's stolen what and uh, decides to gang up on them, but a few more people need to die. One of them is um, Ray Liotta's character, and the other one is Scoop McNary's, and the other one is Ben Mendelsohn. So he brings James Gandolfini into town who's immediately, obviously, just an alcoholic. Uh, sports, one of the best lines in the movie, though, when Brad Pitt goes to pick him up from a hotel room, he shouts at a prostitute, hey, by the way, your asshole is not a national treasure. Uh, just, uh, she's she's the only uh, female who speaks, I think, in the film, and she's there for about a minute, and she's a prostitute. I don't think this one passes the Bechdel test. No, it this doesn't, is, but actually, like, I, lads, I like lads, her reaction to him. Maybe. She's just like, you're a fucking Fuck dickhead. Yo. Fuck yeah, yo, exactly. Yo. Then Brad Pitt sets uh, Mickey, uh, that James Gandolfini's character, up to get um, arrested, and he decides he'll take care of the murders himself. Ben Mendelsohn gets arrested at the airport with a like a big kilo of cocaine or something like that, and then um, Brad Pitt pressures Scoot McNary to show him where Johnny Sack hangs out with his missus, shoots Johnny Sack, shoots Scoot McNary, and then basically goes back into the night. He goes to meet what? Richard Jenkins in a bar to get paid. And then that's when he makes his ah, big yeah, speech yeah. at the end where he goes like, this is America's a business. Uh, he finishes just at the end. He just goes, well, now fucking, no, fucking pay, pay me. me. Yeah, Boom, yeah, exactly. Smash cut. I mean, that's the only part of that over the top financial crash stuff that I can stomach is that is just that last line. It's good fun. But the whole movie is good fun. To be it fair, is, they've got their I'm just saying that's on, the only part of that commentary that I can handle. Hmm. Um, no, I had great. I mean, what about the scene where Brad Pitt comes up on Ray Liotta in the car, oh, in the and car. then the slow mo with the uh, bullets and the shell casings dropping? Uh, I wasn't mad about that. You're not, to be you're not a fan? Oh, I love that. No, no, no I thought really that nice. was too much slow mo. But it didn't bug me in term. It didn't take me out of the movie or anything. I was like, ah, I don't need to see that. Um, I thought all the performances were really, really top shelf. Sam um, Shepard was in it for two seconds. Sam Shepard's in it for literally two seconds. But he, and he's, he's playing he, a big heavy as well, and then he just dies off screen later. Sam Shepard is literally the only person I have anything to say about either, because we know... Yeah, what, he was he what, was near death at this point as well. He's only He had like ALS. I mean, Scoot McNary is a 
slightly interesting case. In I don't that... think I'd ever seen him in anything before. Because I really. I mean, He's very well, I mean, good. He's in, in Gone uh, Girl on Twelve Years a Slave and stuff, and Argo, but I can't, I can't picture him particularly. Halt and Catch Fire, right? It's very he's one good of the show. leads in that. Yeah, he's yeah, in True Detective show. season three as well, but I don't recall that. Yeah, he's the dad in that. Yeah, mm. but Sam Shepard, on the other hand, basically banged, banged out a lot of ladies. Well, you saw where my mind was going anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he lay, shagged lay them out. everyone. Lay them out. He was he was shacked up with like a really hot lady just when he was in his seventies, just before he died. Uh, I I mean I'm, I have to look up on the library here, but he was like were some uh, of the ones there were there were some big ones over the years. Addy Smith, oh, Joni yeah. Mitchell, Joni Mitchell's tour manager, uh, Jessica <laughs> Lang. Oh yeah, he's um, Mia Kirshner, Brian De Palma's misses from those movies we've watched. Uh, at the end of his life, he was. Yeah, what was the name I of the can, lady I can't even he was spot with? It, but he was just plowing. Oh no, yeah, the, you already mentioned the person. He was with uh, Mia Kirshner just before he died. Yeah, and she was like forty, and he was seventy. He's a good-looking man. You spot him, like, there's this picture of him on Wikipedia from um, his early days when, uh, hanging around New York at age 21. So that would have been uh, in the in 1964. He was just hanging around New York writing plays. You just look at him and just go on. <laughs> like, he must have just been crushing everything he ran into. Just so handsome. Handsome actor, handsome. playwright. I mean, exactly. how many plays did just, you? You were like a million plays. He did, yeah, yeah, all through Pulitzer his career. Prize winner, Academy was, Award nomination, and then ends up in uh, killing them softly for precisely three uh, seconds. I mean, he died of ALS like three years after that, or something. Five. The years. only other interesting person I have to say anything about is Max Casella because he went uh, through puberty in his twenties because uh, <laughs> they had to give him drugs to do so. So he always okay. looked uh, younger than the parts he oh, played. No. It's true. I wonder if that's going on a lot. Maybe that's the thing that we should be worried about. That's why we should be closing down. That's what Hollywood, that's the evil secret of Hollywood. Yeah, maybe Max Casella needed some adrenochrome. Mm. That's what I'll say. Um, anyway, him. despite what Andy might say, both films this week, great. Uh, I'm nothing against the outfit. I thought it was. I considered the good. outfit like perfect. Enemy of the show, Don, John Spillane disagrees with me on that fact. Joe Don Spillane. His uh, counteract is that uh, Billy Madison is, in fact, a perfect movie, which it's difficult to argue with. Um, Killing Them Softly is great. The outfit is great. Both are great. Really, you'll get high recommendations for both of these films. Fair. So, you want to toss a fucking coin, bitch? <laughs> I'd like to do nothing more than that. All right. Well, it's your week this week, so uh, let's hear it. What have you got? To, what do you got to bring to the table, fucker? I decided to go for a Persian American vampire western film, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night from 2014. Iranian yes. vampire girl lady thing. A film have I have it? seen. Ah, uh, okay. You've seen everything. That's not true. It is not tell true. Tell me the one I thing that you seen. haven't seen. Shall I tell you one thing I haven't seen? Go. Okay. I have not seen the sequel to the Alfred Hitchcock classic Psycho, I have not seen Psycho 2. Wow. And, you know, it's I can't believe you've been putting off the sequel to Psycho for all these years. It's actually supposed to be pretty good. I heard I, 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 I had a little a little dive through and it does. It looks better than I thought it was going to be. And no yeah, doubt better a, than Psycho 3 as well. Yeah, exactly. That, apparently the franchise goes off a cliff after 2. But apparently Psycho 2 is worth uh, worth your money. Anyway, um, 
Hit it up. Okay, so your options are heads or tails. Give me tails. Two. All right. Ooh, okay, here we go. I'm going to see if I can catch this. It's up in the air. Oh, shit, I dropped it. Okay, I'm going to do it again. See if I can catch it. Oh, I caught it. It is tails of the oh, unexpected. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I don't mind. I don't mind about that. Uh, I'm very tell happy the, about it. Tell even me though, the thing that I would have got. I, let's see, could you guess it? Can you describe A Girl Walks Home at Night again? It's a Persian vampire western something or other. Is there any other vampire western? I don't know. I've never seen Near Dark. Catherine oh, yeah. Girl's Near yeah. Dark. I was going to put that up for a toss. Maybe I did put that up for a toss. I think you did ago. actually yeah, put well, it up for a toss at some point. 1987 film. I would still like to see it. Um, you might be pleased to know, though, that uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Yeah, I wasn't uh, too chuffed with it. It's very pretentious. Oh. Very arty. But does um, it have, like... Do they play heroin when someone is shooting up heroin? Or is there anything about the financial crash? I'll tell you what, it's that cool, so to speak. (laughs) It's very cool in a way that I'd imagine Near Dark would not be. I imagine if we had done this week that you had let out for us, Near Dark would have won in terms of a claim. Okay. Well, it's got Bill Paxton in it. What are you going to do? So what are we watching alongside Psycho 2? Okay, I'm going to make this a thing from now on. I've just decided, fuck it. This is like a new rule that I'm implementing for myself. I'm giving you a, like triple, a triple choice. Every single triple time choice. you're going to get, you're going to get, it's going to be multiple choice. It's not just triple going to be choice. one thing. Oh so I've got, and I'm not, obviously I'm not going to tell you what the things are. I'm just going to tell you the connections. So the okay. connections, the choices are actor, writer, or thematic. Thematic, all day. Okay, the, I don't know how close the thematic connection is in reality. I just put this one in because I wanted to... Oh, God, no, wait, I have to tell you what you could have won first. I have to reveal that. So the actor Please. connection was going to be because Psycho 2, much like the original Psycho, and I think Psycho 3 stars Anthony Perkins. Of course. So I was going to go for the film uh, directed by his son, Oz Perkins, and scored by his other son, Elvis Perkins, which is 2016's The Black Coat's Daughter, starring Emma Roberts, which is a, a middle-of-the-road uh, horror film, I think. So you Thank might God. have dodged a bullet there. <laughs> uh, writer, Psycho 2 is also written by the writer who wrote 1985's Fright Night. Wrote and yeah, Tom Holland, yeah, directed, yeah, yeah Tom Tom Holland from Spider Man. He wrote and, Fright Night, uh, ancient Roman history, yes, yeah. He wrote nineteen eighty five. He wrote Fright Night. Okay, so what you missed nineteen. Young man, you you missed nineteen eighty five's Fright Night. What you've won is a film that I chose just because I want to rewatch it because I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I'll give you some clues and see if you know what it is. It's from 1991, and it was directed by Wes Craven. I think it's an adaptation of a Stephen King mm, story. No, no idea off the top it's of my head. Go on. The People Under the Stairs. Oh, wow. I've heard that's fantastic. I've never, oh, seen, never it. seen it. Oh, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I've heard I it's really fantastic, it. though. I, like, I listen to a lot of um, horror movie podcasts that have like cult directors on, and they always cite that as, as oh, a real man. gateway it, drug it, for it horror. It traumatized me when I was a kid. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to watching that. I've been meaning to watch it for ages. Okay, so we're entering into spooky season with none others than Psycho 2 and the people under the stairs. What could be spookier than that? Great stuff. I'm excited. I might have to rewatch Psycho. And obviously by Psycho, I mean uh, the 1998 Gus Van Sant Psycho. Is there another one? one? Nope, not I know of. All right, exactly. Well, in that case, I'll just say it quickly. I love you. Bye. Bye.